Welcome to the Backyard Professor live podcast videos uh, discussion on Mormonism and every other subject that has to do with it and all others as well. So welcome everybody. I am really, really excited to be with you tonight because I have some spectacular themes and ideas. I'm going to do a book review. I am the proud owner of the book we've all been waiting for for 20 years. Cheryl Bruno, Joe Steve Swick III, and Nick Litursky, Method Infinite, Freemasonry and the Mormon Restoration. I'm going to be giving you my first impressions of this book. I want to be the first one to really jump into this book in the uh, social media sector. And uh, I've got a lot of information and news I want to share with you tonight. Then I'll share some selections of it with you and my impressions of this. How's everybody doing? I hope everyone's here. Peter Higgs, how you doing? Ford and Gamsey, good to see you. Mark Crispin, yes. Joshua Davidson, Alice Galeen, Doug Vincent, Moksha Raver, Issa Morris, Wonderful to see all you fabulous people here. Very good, very good. So um, I'm excited. I have had several different friends who were scholars who have review copies, and they were kind of telling me a little bit about it. And I got mine just the other day, and I have completely read it this week. It's a huge book. It really is. It's a massive book. It's 
pretty comprehensive on the subject. And that was one of the things that just really struck me well. And I knew it was going to be because years ago I was talking with Joe Swick about this book and, and a lot of his ideas. And we were bantering ideas back and forth on Freemasonry and Rosicrucianism and the tarot cards and their symbolisms and all kinds of esoteric different themes and peoples. And I'm hoping, at least I understand that I gave her an invite. I called and talked to one of the authors, Cheryl Bruno, this morning, and she said she was going to be with Joe tonight. And so hopefully they'll be watching. I hope you are. Welcome if you are. Uh, I'm going to dedicate this particular live session to Cheryl Bruno and Joe Swick and Nick Letursky for their magnificent work. It is published by Greg Coford Books. You can look up, I thought it was on the front. There it is. Greg Coford Books. If you'll go to their website, look them up on Google, you can order this book. I would strongly recommend you order this book. I was at a Sunstone presentation. Oh, it's been six or seven years ago where I first got to meet Joe. And I believe I met Cheryl there too. Got to know them better. And she is on a, on a uh, message board that I inhabit also, but uh, they were talking about it then. And, uh, it was a joy to listen to them describe some of the things that they're going to be talking about. So I got this and I've completely read it cover to cover. I have news that, uh, who else is here? Gail Capson. Good to see you. Nathan Crouch. Good to see you. Barry Richens. Hello, Barry, my man. How are you? Cheryl Bruno, you are here. Bless your heart. I love you guys, man. Give Joe a hug for me too. Uh, that is spectacular. I'm very grateful you're here. Patty Cake, you're here. Yes, yes. Newton Lemos, Mosia. Good to see you. <laughs> Mosia, Mosia, Mosia. Good to see you. Yeah. So this, uh, I do believe um, Cheryl told me that uh, Greg Colford printed about three times more of these than they normally do with normal books simply because the desire for these has been, and, and they have taken 20 years. And I know there were a lot of people who were truly impatient with it and they wanted it out and all that. Uh, it was worth every minute of waiting to receive this fine text. It's uh, over 500 pages. They go into a comprehensive, but not an argumentative look at the issues, at the comparisons, at the connections with Freemasonry and Mormonism in such an interesting, fantastic way. So uh, I am very excited to share this with you. I just want to make sure I've said hi to pretty much everybody. Yep, yep, yep. Uh, they do Dan Vogel a good job in this book. They, they do utilize some apologists in a very positive way. There is no argumentation here. They are simply documenting and sharing the overall comprehensive, informed influence of Freemasonry in Joseph Smith's life, pretty much 
from the very beginning. And that was one of the wonderful eye-opening things that I learned in this book and the details of the, the referencing in both sectors, the Freemason materials and the Mormon materials, the early Mormon materials. They've utilized the Joseph Smith Papers collection very well. They've gone into the uh, the journals and the uh, the diaries and the letters in between people within Mormonism and within Masonry, and they described the uh, the turmoil, the politics involved as the Mormons were doing a little bit of irregular work in Nauvoo, and and uh, the Grand Lodge of Illinois was getting pretty upset with them, and all kinds of very interesting historical materials here. The thing that I think I appreciate the most about this book, Method Infinite, this is the book I'm reviewing in this video, the thing I think I appreciated the most is to recognize the overarching spiritual brotherhood between Freemasonry and Mormon spirituality in Joseph Smith's mind and in his approach to the powerful, though flawed in his day, Freemasonry. It was in his mind, and, and I think they make their case pretty doggone good, in his mind. Uh, and of course, they had gone through the Morgan affair with uh, Morgan being kidnapped and murdered. That's the theory. And uh, that just that brought Masonry right to the front lines for years, right in the heart of Joseph Smith's childhood and his parents and his brothers and his uncles and his grandfather, all of his family members, more or less were Freemasons. Every one of them, I mean, Martin Harris and Oliver Cowdery, and I mean, even Grandin, the printer of the Book of Mormon, all of his neighbors were Mormons. And there was an anti-Masonic movement and a pro-Masonic movement. I mean, William W. Phelps was one of the anti-Mormons publishing, or I mean, the anti-Masons publishing against Masonry because of the murder of Morgan. And then, of course, Joseph Smith married Morgan's widow as one of his plural wives. So, I mean, masonry is from the beginning. And I love how they have just systematically, not as a way of poking a finger in the eye of Mormon historians, not that at all. We're just getting to the actual history of just what was going on. And that's what I love about this book. Now, uh, Hey, T.O., welcome. Glad you're here. I'm just getting, hey, Coco B., I'm just now getting wrapped up, ramped up. J.B., maybe. Good to see you again. Joshua Davidson. Okay. Everyone looks like they're having fun, which is good. Now, uh, when I when I got my book just a couple of days ago, I, uh, I immediately jumped into it, and I've been reading it ever since because I wanted to be able to do a decent review tonight and let you guys know that it's worth every penny. 
I, I will read this book time and time and time and time and time and time and time again. And of course, I'm going to be sharing a boatload of information from their book. And I am going to be bringing in my own uh, materials that they didn't uh, with a little bit different angles and flavors, et cetera, on the Freemasonry and Mormonism and all that. Because uh, thank you, Joe Swick. You are my brother eternal. Uh, for getting me into the esoteric, for getting me to see there's a spiritual side to life, uh, no matter who you are, no matter what you are, no matter where you are. And uh, I'm very, very grateful for you, good brother, and you also as well, Cheryl. So this morning, while I was preparing for tonight, uh, I... You can see I've got lots and lots of these little tabs. I always do this. I, I have to mark where I'm going to share. And then, of course, when I get to a certain area in the book, I color it yellow. You know, that's the part I want to read. And then here's the marker and all that. Well, you know, and I underline and I star and I cross-reference stuff all the time. I do this with all my books. Well, in the process of doing that, this stupid cover kept getting in the way. It kept flopping in the way. And so I took it off and laid it down. And I, I, I kept studying. Then I looked over at it and I noticed something that I didn't see at first. And this is one of the coolest things. This is so Joe Steve Swick. This is so you, man. Yeah. In the fold, you know how you get the blurb on the inside of the cover about the book. And then the wonderful pictures. There's those beautiful people, Cheryl and Joe and Nick on the back of the flap, right? And then there's the... There's the front, and it is an extremely nicely done cover. Uh, but right in the fold, at the flap, it had folded out. And I noticed that there was a Masonic cipher in the fold, in the front and the back fold. And I thought, wait a minute, I didn't see that before. So I got working on it, trying to break that cipher to see what the cipher said. And I, I did a few things, and I looked up some stuff and did some decoding. And now nah, that didn't work. Let me let me try this. No, that didn't work. Well, I did that for about two hours this morning. And uh, I'm sitting there thinking, man, I'm going to call Cheryl and ask her what cipher they're using. <laughs> and then I immediately realized, you idiot, she's never going to tell you. They're not going to tell you that cipher. So I kept working on it. And within just a couple of minutes after that, the inspiration from Masonic heaven struck my head and I deciphered the cipher. And it was so fun to do. It was so cool to do that I called Cheryl and I told her, Cheryl, 
I just now saw the cipher and I deciphered it. And she said, oh, Carrie, you're the first one. So, and they want to kind of keep track to see who sees that cipher and who is able to decipher the cipher, right? And no, I'm not going to tell you. You can do it yourself. It's a whole lot of fun, man. It is a hoot. It's just such a typical, beautiful Masonic move on Bruno, Swick, and Letursky's part. It's just awesome. It's so much fun. And they're going to also be able to know, which is really fascinating. They are also going to be know, they're going to be able to know that you actually did decipher the cipher if you show them the spelling mistake in it. <laughs> There's a spelling mistake in it, man. And I mean, it, it doesn't harm the cipher, of course. I mean, it's obvious what it is. When I saw it, I said, whoa, wait a minute. And, and I noted that. And that's why I called Cheryl this morning. I said, uh, I just found the cipher, but there's a spelling mistake. And she she said it before I did. She said, oh, did you find the spelling mistake? I said, yes, I did. And you know, that doesn't mar it. That just makes it all the better because the perfection through masonry slash Mormonism is not going to occur on this side of the veil. It happens as we continue our working on ourselves to improve ourselves, better ourselves, and improve our loving capacity. It'll happen in the next era. So, but anyway, I'm just letting you know, if the backyard professor can solve that Masonic cipher, then so can you guys. So get with it. It's a lot of fun. It's really cool. A great touch. I've also been informed by uh, quite a few people who knew that I was going to be receiving my copy of this, that uh, there are, now it's real interesting. Cheryl also, the other night when I was talking to her, when I told her I got the book, and I thanked her for its beautiful message uh, and its exquisite scholarship. Uh, the best book in print in existence on Mormonism and Freemasonry without question is Method Infinite. I can personally testify to that, that that's true. It's totally comprehensive, not argumentative. It's solid. But she said that the cells at Sunstone were lower for the book than at the fair conference. <laughs> and I told her, I said, well, yeah, of course. That's because the apologists want to try to refute it. Now, this is a this is such uh, a fascinating thing to me about how, especially with this subject, man, with, with Freemasonry and Mormonism, uh, the, the apologetics gets really weird. And I know that the apologist now, I'm good friends with Jeff Bradshaw, and I know he is publishing a book on Freemasonry and the endowment, and it was supposed to be out the same time that Method Infinite was. And unfortunately, it has been delayed. It'll be out about the 11th or 12th, something like that, uh, here in just a couple of days. What is the date today? 7th. So hopefully by the end of this next week, and then I'll get it also. I know Bradshaw has published a... Uh, an article in Interpreter, 
and uh, has talked about the ancient parallels. Now, of course, this is going to be the typical apologetic approach. I mean, it's what I did when I was an apologist, is you always look for the ancient parallels showing, therefore, two things. One, divine authenticity, and two, divine antiquity. And for whatever reason, the uh, the emphasis on the scriptures, uh, Book of Abraham, Book of Moses, which is Jeff Bradshaw's expertise, area of expertise, the Book of Moses. Oh, and I, I don't have this huge book on Moses. Uh, hold on, I've got one of them. I've got two of them, actually. His one book... Uh, on Moses, it, it is literally four inches thick. It's absolutely one of the most sumptuous, gorgeous books I've ever seen. And then this is his second one, and it is also just apt. He co-authored this with David Larson, another fine LDS scholar in God's image and likeness. And this is where he's talking about Enoch, Noah, and the Tower of Babel. And it itself is really gigantic. But they have all kinds of charts well, not in this one so much, uh, all kinds of pictures, analysis, details, a lot of the uh, the mythological approach to the ancient patriarchs, of course, is included, the legends, uh, the parallels with uh, Dead Sea Scrolls, the Nag Hammadi materials, and uh, some of the ancient Babylonian and Assyrian materials, of course, because that's where, the, and, and then, of course, the early Hebrews, and there's a little bit of Kabbalah. And, I mean, they he just put an enormous amount of work in these books. Well, he's doing a book on Freemasonry in order to respond to Bruno Swick and Latursky. Uh, I can predict right now, and I, I will say this is my bias, and I can't help but approach this probably in a more subjective vein because I am a Freemason. And so I have been through the Masonry. I have been all the way up through to and including the Royal Arch. The parallels with the Masonic degrees in the York Rite and some of the exquisite materials that they found uh, with the Scottish Rite, but the absolute overwhelming predominance of the Hiram Biff legend and the Royal Arch Masonry in this book is absolutely spine-tingling. It is sensational. It's good. I can add to it. And, and Cheryl told me the editors, and isn't this typical of editors? Editors made her cut down her final chapter. She had like 900 pages. It's a 500-page book. So Cheryl, if you're still watching, if you still have some of that stuff, I would be interested in receiving it. I know the editors made you cut it out, but I would love to read it because you have done such an exquisite job with this material. Uh, uh, you must have had excellent proofreaders because I did not see one spelling mistake, not one. And that's impressive. Uh, with a book this magnificently sized, it's amazing. Now, I don't want all you guys to read the book and look for spelling mistakes. Enjoy it for the content. The overarching spiritual content is really awesome. Now, uh, so what I'm going to do because I am a brother Mason, Joe Swick and Nick Latursky, these two are the ones who encouraged me the most to become a Freemason. I am a Freemason because of their wonderful influence. Uh, and as a fellow brother Mason, I am going to pay attention to the book reviews, the 
arguments against this book in favor of this book. Uh, I'm going to see who I'm going to weigh all sides and see who has the better argument. I have never seen such an all encompassing uh, approach to the subject as these fine scholars have given us in this book. They had 20 years. There are three of them together. So I honestly don't expect the responses to be of that caliber. I'm hoping they are. What I'm hoping for, seriously, it's time to put the animosity to bed, really seriously. We, we don't need to imagine that we have Freemasonry here in the right corner and Mormonism here in the left corner and fighting as antagonists. Because in Joseph Smith's mind, Freemasonry was not just a, oh, an afterthought. Oh, look, I found something else I can add to my stuff. That's not how this demonstrates the evidence. Freemasonry was right in it from the beginning as an apostate, problematic, fallen system of brotherhood that very properly needed restoring. And that was the Freemason view in Joseph Smith's day. Because of the Morgan affair, Freemasonry in America just about died. But then Joseph Smith brought it back. Well, I mean, he's one of the factors in, in bringing it back. And make no mistake about it, his Freemasonry in Nauvoo just mushroomed and exploded. And it just, it, it terrified everybody in some respects, which is too bad. But yeah, I get it. There's always, you know, it's what I would call religious politics. And it's just so sad that that has to happen and rear its ugly head all the time when it's so unnecessary. But today's Mormonism has also gone back to losing the word. Today's Mormonism has entirely lost the vision of Joseph Smith. And I know apologists are going to be offended by that. That's just tough luck. Uh, today's Mormonism is, is just basically spiritually blasé. I won't say dead, but I'll, I will say blasé. And uh, it's too bad that it's that way. It doesn't have to be, but they're choosing it. And uh, the real spirituality is in Joseph Smith's day. And, and this book shows it. Now, so, wow, with all of that information out, my gosh, I've only been talking for eight minutes anyway. So no sweat, baby. All right. Thank you for all the likes, eight likes. Hey, Dan Vogel. Uh, I don't know. I don't know where RFM is, Dan. I'm glad you're here. I'm just talking about Method Infinite, Bruno Swick and Latursky, and they give you some real good marks. They disagree with you on a couple of items, and then they expand on a lot of your research. Your early Mormon documents is very well represented in here. It's an excellent source. It's kind of a one-two punch. It's very good. Uh, Dan Vogel has been really sincerely also instrumental in awakening our 
consciousness to this issue of Freemasonry and Mormonism. You just, you can't divorce the two. There's just no way that we can ever divorce the two. So, and, and that's probably a good thing. Oh, that's an interesting thought, T.O. I'm going to read that out loud. The institution is the harlot and the congregation is the bride. That's very interesting. Yeah, I kind of like that. Yeah. Yes, I'm sure you will, Dan. Yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing your discussion of the differences. Uh, what I've done is I have, I have uh, number one, the illustration. Now, they couldn't do color illustrations. And I understand that. I mean, color really adds to the... Uh, to the exquisite cost of a book. And uh, I would have bought it anyway, but we want to make as many sales as possible. But they do have some fantastic illustrations of trestle boards from Freemasonry. And this is one of the cool ones. I mean, the symbolism. I will be talking about Freemasonic symbolism in the Royal Arch, as well as on several trestle boards. I have so much fabulous information on symbolism that I want to share with you. That is one of the things I loved how they, sorry about the tab in, in the way, but I love how they showed pictures of the old buildings that were used as Masonic halls and so on and so forth. The illustrations are good. I truly wish they would have gotten more illustrations in. I understand it costs a lot of money. And uh, here is a wonderful 15th century French manuscript of God as the great architect. I love that. That is such a fascinating. You can see he's holding the compass and, and uh, in his hand. He's standing on the orb and outer space is behind him. And he's bringing, he's separating the light from the dark and all that. And then uh, they have some, some coinage that has to do with some Freemasonry. Uh, the, the, the pictures and it's some of these old pictures here, like this gentleman that I think is so much fun that shows uh, it kind of puts you in the history with it. And, and, and it's really kind of cool. Now, one of the interesting, and, and this is where they opened up uh, my mind a little bit better to show how Freemasonry was important to the Smith family from the very beginning, even before Joseph Smith's birth, truly. And one of the fascinating things, and they show this map, and I loved this map for this reason, because I had no idea it was that all influential, is the Masonic lodges near the Joseph Smith Senior Home in Vermont in 1798. And you can see there's not just one that is 79 or 80 miles away. The Masons were very prominent all around Joseph Smith throughout his life. The lodges, the various information, the arguments back and forth, so on and so forth. I wanted to show you a couple more of these. Oh, and then this is the abduction of William Morgan. This is an artist's rendition. The William Morgan affair was one of the absolute most fascinating parts of all of Freemasonry in America. It was also a watershed moment, uh, and everybody was talking about it, pro and con, through thousands of books and newspapers and people, gatherings, uh, meetings, both enemies and friends, all over the United States, and most especially 
in Joseph Smith's own neighborhood. It was the talk, the subject. And that went on for years, which is really interesting. And uh, and then I wanted to show you a couple others here real quick. Uh, let me give you a brief overview real quick instead of showing you the pictures. The They talk about the philosophical system of Freemasonry, uh, which is wonderful. It shows you the spiritual basis of Freemasonry. And I believe they captured this. Now, when I was talking with Joe all those years ago on the phone over and over, we would have one, we had all day long conversations, seriously. It was spectacular to talk with him because we talked about everything and he never ran out of interesting, fascinating ideas and materials for me. Uh, half my library is thanks to him on Hermeticism, Kabbalah, Jewish, Christian, Rosicrucian, tarot materials, it just got mathematical materials, sacred geometry. It was fantastic time in my life. Uh, and the philosophical system of Freemasonry, they show, in my opinion, really well, is an uplifting, spiritualizing system for mankind to go from the dark into the light. That's the essence. And that's wonderful. So, and then the, the Smith family's Masonic environs, I thought was very, very well done. It was all pervasive. It They showed it in such a manner that I had never yet, you know, most of us, when we hear about Freemasonry, we think, well, uh, what it is, is it's, it's Freemasonry uh, being stolen to make the temple endowment. That's the only influence that any of us or most of us ever know about, except some of the better known scholars like Dan Vogel. Uh, and now, and Mark Amherst McGee and, and people like that. But now uh, along comes Bruno Swick and Letursky and they open up the record really, really powerfully demonstrating that we're, we're talking Freemasonry from 1805 on until the exodus now understand and, and you gotta kind of you know you put yourself in brigham young shoes the masons murdered his best friend his prophet his seer his revelator so of course he was mad he felt betrayed and he really didn't want a lot to do with masonry now they don't go into into brigham young they end they begin and end their book with joseph smith Properly so, because it's about the Mormon restoration and one of the great influences on early Mormonism and Joseph Smith. And that's why they focused specifically on just his life uh, style. You know, I mean, there's lots more masonry involved and there's a lot of political crap that that they went through also. So, and then he talks about uh, William Morgan, masonry and death. And they show talk about the William Morgan affair. And then the prophet's Masonic initiation from darkness to light. And this is one of those things. If I can get to it, if I can quit reviewing it and start reading it. Yeah. I'm only a half hour in, I might share this. Otherwise I'll, I'll do several videos on, on many of these themes on this book, but there is, interpretation of Joseph Smith's first vision, his initiation into true masonry from darkness to light 
I was delighted. It was really well done. I was very impressed with the first vision material. That was cool. That was eye-opening. Yeah, get it? Eye-opening? Yeah, you know, the entered apprentice is uh, hoodwinked. He's got a hoodwink around his eyes. He's in dark. And then they pull the hoodwink off and ta-da, that's eye-opening. Yeah. Uh, a little pun there. That's, I'm overdoing it. Sorry. And then the book of the law, long lost, now found. The parallels, the Masonic parallels with the discovery not only of the uh, treasure-seeking, the Urim and Thummim, the seer stones, but the discovery of the gold plates, the whole kip and caboodle, the entire story of the coming forth of the Book of Mormon, including the book itself, has Masonic overtones and reverberations and parallels that I had never imagined actually exist. And they did a sensational job on that, on the Book of Mormon. And I was duly impressed, man. I go, wow, I'm going to have to reread that several times. I'm going to reread the whole book several times, truly. And then the Mormonism's Masonic Midrash. Now, this chapter is fun because they talk about, they demonstrate so much of the, well, the revelations, but the theological uh, information that Joseph Smith is said to have received through revelation, uh, the three degrees of glory, the, uh, the eternity of matter, just very interesting, unique doctrinal ideas actually have a basis in masonry. And it is the, they go through several different areas of doctrine, of actual practice, of thinking and meaning. And when Joseph Smith begins to translate the Bible, the whole philosophy, not only of the Book of Mormon, man, but of the Joseph Smith translation as well, and they do cover the Book of Abraham as well, the Masonic aspects and background to this, I really enjoyed seeing how Excellent, good-standing Masons, Joe Steve Swick, and others who are also Mormons, I thought it was excellent how they approach that to show, here's how a Mason understands this. And there are, in fact, and, and I think they do pretty good with the evidence and their use of the sources, but their ability to show that Joseph Smith actually deliberately crafted some of his knowledge and some of his revelations and some of, if not all, of his rituals with masonry in mind. Because to Joseph Smith, 
Freemasonry also using George Oliver now. The Antiquities of Freemasonry, 1823, a source that Joseph Smith had. Big one. Freemasonry began before Earth was in existence, in the pre-mortal existence. And it was given to Adam first, and then Adam passed it along, and his kids kept rejecting it, and then later there was a restoration, then there was an apostasy, then there was a restoration, then there was a corruption. The last corruption was the William Morgan era, and someone, in the Mason's viewpoint, someone had to step up and restore this fantastic, wonderful system of from darkness to light, to enlighten mankind, to allow us to get back into the divinity of which we are. And that someone ended up being Joseph Smith. He caught the spirit of the times and he said, I'm the prophet. I can restore this. Joseph Smith's intention was not to steal from Freemasonry to make his own system, Joseph Smith's intention was to restore Freemasonry in toto, in all its glory, beginning from Adam. And this helped me understand that's why he emphasized Adam and Enoch and Moses and Abraham the patriarch, Melchizedek, he, he used the, the same biblical patriarchs that Freemasonry uses with a lot of the same teachings about what they did, where they stood in relation to each other, some of the fantastic revelations they all received, etc. Joseph Smith had that system in Mormonism being restored. See, the Mormon apologists and the leaders, they say, well, the restoration is of Jesus's church. That's a part, but not the whole. It goes all the way back into the premortal existence as Freemasonry did. And he brought it down to earth and took it through the sweep of humanity. That was Joseph Smith's vision with Freemasonry. Now, that was, that was so eye-opening and mind-expanding. I'm going to have to reread this quite a few times to make sure I've got the gist of this. But there is so much really cool details that I can make entire videos on that are just fabulous. Uh, both... The, the other lesson I've got from this book, and I am one of these, so see, I'm on the hot seat. I confess it. Both critics and apologists, Mormon leaders, Mormons alike, appear, at least based on this all-comprehensive study, to have misunderstood Joseph Smith's use of masonry. It wasn't just restoring Christianity Joseph Smith was after. He was restoring the actual system of God, and Freemasonry was the corrupt version of it.
Now that's astounding to say. I I I get it. There's going to be people who say, "Dude, out the door. You're off your rocker." Just give me a chance to make a few videos with this because I I immediately I have other uh people who also want to <laughs> share with me their ideas on this concept and I'm going to be happy to do that with them. So there's some new, cool, interesting information coming down the pipeline is what I'm trying to tell you. Yeah. And it's going to be a lot of fun. So, uh, and then, but this Masonic Midrash, they went through at least 15 really, truly stunning, powerful anchor points of concepts, theological, historical, legendary. And it's true. They thought that the legendary was literal history but not totally. And so these concepts, they brought them forth. There were at least 15 or 16 of them so that it's really all, and it occurred from early all the way through the middle of his life, all the way up into his death. And, and so this is a very interesting concept of how all pervasive this was. And then they go to the book of Abraham, advancing the interests of true masonry, not the false masonry of his day, that had apostatized. Now, this chapter really stunned me. And that's all I'm going to say on it because I want to prepare a justified and a valid on the level review of Masonry and the Book of Abraham because their take on this is really remarkably interesting. It gave me a new window a new angle to look at the translation of the papyri that I have never thought of before. And this is so typical of spiritual giants such as Cheryl Bruno, Joe Steve Swick, and Nick Letursky are that they can see a much broader picture than all the rest of us. And so with my little laser beam focus on the literality, see, I have just adapted the almost idiotic Mormon interpretation of their scriptures. And I've been fighting and I've been demonstrating with actual good evidence now. I'm not going back on what I've said about the book of Abraham. I've demonstrated as literal history Hell no. No, not at all. But that doesn't mean it has no value. It very well may end up, and this was the stunning thing that I caught out of this chapter, is this actually may end up being of phenomenal spiritual value, personal spiritual value for people. And I'm not going to lie to you. That surprises me. And I love a book that surprises me. Yeah, baby. <laughs> That's what makes this book so fantastic. They're not beating down through the same grooves at all. They're giving us further light and knowledge that Father promised. And they have received because they've understood the larger implications of the partnership 
of masonry and Mormonism. And they've shown us new angles that a lot of the rest of us, we've never even been able to comprehend. And the, the parallels they have with the Royal Arch and the York Rite are, are just fantastic. They're, they're beautiful. And so that Book of Abraham chapter, I will be doing more videos on that. That's fun stuff. So, and then the trowel and the sword. Now, this chapter was pretty good because the, uh, you have to get physical, right? Spirituality doesn't work until you get physical. <laughs> You've got to do, right? It's not just the heart, mind. It's the action of your life that makes a difference as well. You know, you don't just say, oh, well, God is love. Jesus is love. He says love is the first commandment. Isn't that wonderful, swell, sweet, and joyous? Oh, goodness. And then go be an asshat to all of your friends and neighbors and family. No, you have to incorporate that love through your words, your actions, your hopes, your heart, your mind. Your words, everything. It's an all-encompassing doing physical. Well, it's the same principle that he put into building the temples. Uh, you can talk about this thing called an endowment, a Masonic concept, before Joseph was even a twinkle in his mama's eye, the endowment is Masonic. Make no mistake about that. The initiation and endowment, the washing of the feet, make no mistake about that. That was Masonic. Yeah, the veils, the five points of fellowship, the penalties, the teachings of the endowment of the three great men who share the light to enlighten the world. All of that's masonry, man. It's much more pervasive than what we've ever seen from the anti-Mormons or the pro-Mormons who are trying to refute it. There's no point in trying to refute it. Joseph Smith deliberately brought that in and he creatively adapted the symbols. He creatively added and inspirationally added his own interpretations and meanings because that is what a keen Mason would do. Because this was how the Masons in Joseph Smith's day was also doing it. They really were. Look, there is, oh, I'll put it this way, in Joseph Smith's day, and they document this pretty well. And I actually kind of understood this. I, I kind of knew this. But in Joseph Smith's day, there wasn't such a thing as an only correct uh, methodology or an only correct ritual or an orthodox, accurate way to do everything. And there are only this many degrees and no more are allowed. No, people were constantly reshaping the endowment, the initiations, and there were new degrees that were being developed on both sides of the Atlantic. 
over there in England and right here in America, in Joseph Smith's backyard. Yeah. And that carried on. I mean, even past Joseph Smith, if you studied anything about masonry, and I don't have it, it's upstairs, darn it. Albert Pike, he completely revamped the entire Scottish rite in Freemasonry. And I mean, he spent decades doing it, and he did an absolutely magnificent job. But when it dawned on him that there was uh, information that came from antiquity in the ancient Hermeticism and in the Egyptian materials, he was bringing that into the Scottish Rite. If there was some Rosicrucian or Jewish Kabbalistic materials, he adapted that and he brought it in and he rewrote those degrees and initiations and characterizations and doctrines and histories and legends and mythology, and he revamped it all, that's what Keen Masons did. Joseph Smith was playing the part of a Keen Mason in picking and choosing and adapting either a Jewish flavor, or he would go to the New Testament. We've got some stuff there. Or mostly, mostly, both Masonry and Mormonism, the Restoration, is dealing with the Old Testament. Uh, Adam, Eve, you know, you know, Moses, Noah, Abraham, Enoch, Melchizedek, those guys. And then, of course, King Solomon, the Temple. Right, yeah. So, so it's very, it's very uh, paralleled, but everybody was taking bits and pieces, and they were putting in their own understanding. I mean, let's face it: Freemasonry's Enoch legend with Hiram Abiff is not the same information. It's not even the same story as Joseph Smith's creative use of Enoch. But that doesn't mean one is true and one is false, because none of this is literal history. Once we grasp that, once we get that, once we get that theme in our head that we say, oh, well, we don't have to actually imagine that this literally happened. Once you get that aspect of the teaching of the allegory through the symbolism and that is how Joseph Smith set up so much of the temple information, including the architecture and the building. And how about that absolutely breathtaking Nabu temple symbolism on the outside of the building, let alone the inside? But I mean, the outside of that thing, you know, you have that, you have that magnificent all-seeing eye. And you had the Big Dipper, and you had the Star Stones, the Sun Stones, the Moon Stones. I mean, damn, our architecture today is boring, it's stifling, and it's just ugly boxes. Why don't we put our whole spiritual psychological, wonderful, symbolic information and knowledge into the shapes 
of our buildings today and really give us something fabulous to look at, to contemplate, to think about, to talk about and discuss with each other instead of just these dumbass, boring, ugly, gray barracks boxes with a roof. You see, our whole society has lost a spiritual high to where we are just dull as dirt. We argue over some of the most stupid, trivial stuff that wastes all of our times. Joseph Smith's magnificence in the architecture, he claimed was given to him through a vision. Very interesting, because that's the same principle with the King Solomon Temple in the Masonic stuff. They put those symbols to remind us of who we are and what we're doing. We are climbing that spiral ladder, nine-step spiral ladder in the ascent in masonry. Yeah. There's absolutely a celestial ascent in masonry. Make no mistake about it. Any Mormon apologist who tells you otherwise doesn't have a clue what they're talking about. Yeah, you send him to the backyard professor, I'll straighten him out. Absolutely. There was an ascent to heaven, and there was an actual unification with the divine. That was the point of masonry, to fulfill our divine natures. And what, what do you call that? From dark to light. Well, the ultimate light, of course, is going to be up there in the celestial. And so we use these images. You know, the winding spiral staircase, the ladder of Jacob. Uh, I just recently read a remarkably, fantastically, <clears throat> excuse me, interesting uh, interpretation of Jacob's ladder in Genesis. When the when we read in the account, you know, he's asleep and he's, he conked out and he's having this crazy dream with this ladder. And there's angels running up and down this ladder, see? And they're ascending and then they're descending to Jacob. Jacob doesn't ascend and descend. He's asleep. He's asleep spiritually. Of course, we make it literal, physical. The theme is he's asleep and the angels are running up and down this silly ladder. One of the interesting interpretations of this is they were coming down the ladder to see the earthly counterpart of the heavenly real self of Jacob up in heaven. And then they were going back up the ladder to look at him in heaven and say, yeah, yeah, that's you down there. Yeah, that's your earthly counterpart. And, and here's your heavenly counterpart. Yeah, that's real interesting. And what's the theme is the uniting of the earth and the heaven, right? And you say, well, that's just Mormonism. It's also masonry. The binding of earth and heaven. You say, well, the keys to the binding, that's absolute masonry, man. 
I'm they they show that in this book so gloriously. It's absolutely fantastic how they show that principle. The keys and the binding of heaven and earth. Well, you're binding your heavenly true self to your earthly self spiritually to show you what our heritage really is, who we really are. We are divine also. So we have great value. Don't let the Mormon church make you feel today's leaders, make you feel so guilty over such stupid, silly, trivial, waste of time bullshit like pierced ears and earrings and tattoos and masturbating and oh, wearing your hair too long. Oh my God, they just screamed at us for wearing our hair too long. And, uh, you know, smoking and drinking a little bit or your cup of coffee or whatever reason. Oh, you don't go to church enough or whatever. Don't let any of that noise deter you from grasping your essential spiritual reality because we all are it. That is the essence of what the Mormon endowment is trying to show you. What are you doing in the Mormon endowment? You're going through various different veils with extra knowledge until you get to the veil that separates you from the celestial room and things happen, at least it did when I went through. I know they've changed this. See, Mormonism is becoming milk toast, boring, spiritually just bleh. There's no reason to even go to the temple anymore because it'll put you to flipping sleep. You know, you're watching a dumb, lousily acted video instead of actually participating. But when I went through, you get to that bell, you do the five points of fellowship and all that jazz, and then you go into where the divine light, because that is what you are. This was the principle in royal arch masonry. They called that the right of illumination. And the goal of that right of illumination in royal arch masonry is exaltation. It is to rejoin the divine, to recognize you are it. Tatavam Asi. See, now I've got, I've got information. I've got wind from the Mormon apologists who have been teaching and saying now that there's nothing in Freemasonry that actually uh, exalts you or gives you any kind of a, a spiritual afterlife. That's just pure ignorance talking. If you hear an apologist say that, you can tell them the backyard professor says you haven't got a clue. And it's interesting that it's the non-Masonic Mormon apologists who are making this kind of claim, and they're just wrong. You don't have to believe any of that noise because we've got the evidence that that is exactly what Freemasonry is doing. That's why Joseph Smith found it attractive and incorporated it. He knew what he was doing, right? As a keen Mason. And when you read the book, you'll see why I keep emphasizing that. That was one of the cool points in this book, right, Cheryl and Joe? 
Yeah, yeah, I got it. Yeah, I'm with you. Okay, so, and then the ancient order of things, Freemason restored, was really wonderful. And then the grand design, the Masonic kingdom on the Mississippi, discussing again the Kirtland Temple. The uh, The actual architecture is entirely Masonically designed with the in the east and in the west with the three pillars, the three seats, Stacked in three, six, nine on the east, and then three, six, nine on the west. The whole layout is entirely Grand Lodge Masonic. It's fantastic how they show this. In fact, it's fantastic how they show this. Speaking of which, it is fantastic how they show this. Oh, come on. And now I'm not going to be able to find it. That gummit. Come on, come on. Oh, 233. Oh, no wonder I'm way too far. Here we go. No, no, no. Hold on. I'll show you this picture. Oh, there's a wonderful picture of Nauvoo. Oh, I hope it's in this chapter. Come on, don't let me down. Uh, they show a picture of the uh, inside of the Kirtland Temple and the Masonic Lodge in the Nauvoo. Oh, and now I'm not going to be able to find it. I'm sorry. Oh, now we're into the Female Relief Society, which was also a very Masonic-oriented. Oh, crud. Well, anyway, they show the picture of the inside of the uh, of the Kirtland Temple. It, it, it's a nice picture. It shows you the, one, the ascending stair-type modules of the three seats across in an order of three. And, and, and it takes, so the number three is very interesting symbolically in masonry uh, as Albert Pike showed years ago. And, and these guys also show this in Method Infinite, but um, the number nine is also seriously a significant mystical number in Freemasonry. It takes nine in a quorum to, or to produce a quorum in the Royal Arch Masonry. Well, the number nine was very significantly emphasized in the Kirtland Temple, all based on Masonic philosophy and spirituality. It began at the very beginning, in other words. Now, he didn't get the complete endowment in the Kirtland Temple. Of course not, no. He mainly, mostly, it was just for meetings and kind of philosophizing and sharing the revelations that they had, the Section 76, you know, and all that jazz. But uh, they did get the washing of feet and, and the anointing with the oils and, and all that. They got some of the preliminaries done at Kirtland. It wasn't until Nauvoo that the entire full endowment was given, right? So one of the things that I wanted to share out of this book, boy, I intended on doing a lot of reading, and instead I'm doing a whole bunch of talking, which is probably better anyway. But uh, the, the, I, I want to read this because, and this sets the tone uh, for their entire book, and I'm so grateful to you, Cheryl, and to you, Joe, for writing this fantastic book. Seriously. But this sets the tone. And again, uh, it bothered me when I was an apologist, and now it just peeves me off. I, I just, basically, I flip them off if they ever, if they ever give me this attitude. I just, you know, I'm not being very charitable and loving, am I? You know, here I was just preaching about loving and doing, and, and then I say, well, I'm flipping. So yeah, I'm rebelling against authority because authority is phony anyway. Authority isn't where it's at. Personal integrity 
is what masonry taught. Personal integrity is what Joseph Smith taught. Did he not teach? And this is a Masonic teaching that our spirits themselves are eternal and God did not create them. We have, as, we have existed as intelligences, spirits, as long as God has. That's a Masonic teaching. Did you know that? No kidding. I'll, I'll make a video on it. That was staggering when I discovered that. So, so here we go. Uh, this is the building that used to be the Masonic Hall, and then the Mormons refurbished it later on in the early 1900s and changed the name Masonic Hall, and they called it the Cultural Hall because they're just so blasé dead spiritually. They have no idea of the impact and the importance of Freemasonry with Mormonism for the building of the spirituality of the individual. Because now, today's Mormonism, it's not about you. They don't give a fly and flip about you as individuals. What they want you to do is obey them. It's all about them, them, them. The church, the church, the church, the church. Not about you. Freemasonry is the other side. Joseph Smith was the other way. Today's Mormonism has lost the vision, in my opinion. This footnote, now this is on page XV. This is in the preface. And this is powerful. This set the tone for the whole book, man. The building sign does make note that the, quote, cultural hall was used for a variety of purposes, including Masonic meetings. Historian Stanley B. Kimball took exception to renaming the building in a conversation he had with LDS Apostle Mark E. Peterson. Peterson responded, why do historians have to tell everything? What is this mania you have for telling everything. And my first initial response is, well, how the hell come you supposed enlightened apostles who are supposed to be receiving revelation to enlighten us, why the hell do you want to hide everything? That was my first response. But then Kimball's response, then I read Kimball's response, here's his response. Kimball replied, Brother Peterson, you can't bottle up truth. So mote it be. You can't bottle up truth, Mormon leaders. Not possible. Now, would you rather have responsible Mormon historians answer the critics, or should we just abandon the field and let the anti-Mormons run all over it? Now, he was speaking, of course, to a very almost brain-dead, spirit-dead Mormon leader, right? So that it, his response makes sense. But here's my note. The Mormon leaders are the ones who have changed the history and who have hidden things and who have excommunicated people for bringing out what they took out. That is who the enemy is. It is not the so-called 
anti-Mormons who are telling the historical truth, right? But that set the tone. Now, I was expecting, and this was such a pleasant, uplifting surprise. I was expecting this book to be somewhat confrontational or at least laser jet strong against some of the really stupid Mormon commentary that is anti-Masonic. And it wasn't. They kept it on the level, as we Masons say. They kept it straight. They kept it real. But they brought in the total context that no one ever has before. And by keeping it on the level, they elevated the significance of the spirituality and the connection of Freemasonry with Mormonism. That's what makes the book worth reading. The all-pervasive aspect of Freemasonry and Mormonism cannot be gainsaid anymore. If you're going to discuss this subject, you're going to have to include this book, in my opinion. And, and that's just my view. But uh, overall, and their wrap-up is also really well. They do discuss a lot of the Danites. And uh, no offense, Cheryl, no offense, Joe, but I did not find that chapter to be nearly as interesting as all the rest of it. Um, I, the materials on the Book of Abraham were sensational. The materials on the Joseph Smith translation was electrifying. The materials on the Book of Mormon were overwhelming to me. All of that uh, Masonic connection, at least with a background of influence, I had never before supposed it had that much to it. And I really appreciated that in it. So anyway, I, I was gonna I was gonna do a whole boatload of reading uh out of it. I, I might do that next week. It depends. Um, I am gonna bring out a lot more of this this type of material on Freemasonry and Mormonism simply because uh it, it's so fascinating, and yet there is a uh the nice thing about masonry is when they bring in their uh, interpretations. And, and of course, they go to the Old Testament. They've got the, the biblical themes. And this kind of helped me understand why immediately on acquiring the papyri that Joseph Smith went to the biblical background. I made a big deal about that in my Book of Abraham videos, absolutely, because that is a big deal. But I wasn't quite grasping the Masonic reason until now. But I was seeing that you know, he always put everything in the biblical background. That's because he was utilizing Masonry's philosophy in presenting his own theology and history and legends. Well, to the Masons, it's not as vital to try to archaeologically dig up the bones of Adam and Eve, of Enoch, of Melchizedek, or finding the Ark of Noah, or finding the Rod of Aaron, another Masonic touch, interestingly enough, or finding stuff like that in a literal context. Because it is the legendary 
allegory that is more important to the Mason. We, and, and I have done research, and I did talk about this in my book of Abraham videos, where it appears to me that Joseph Smith was quite a literalist. I don't think we can get away with that. So in my opinion, that might be one of the contentions I would have about some of the interpretations that uh, Bruno, Swick, and Latursky have about this, about Joseph Smith's system, I'll, I'll call it a system, religion, restoration. That's probably the better word, right? Because after all, that's the Freemasonry and the Mormon restoration. Okay, so in Joseph Smith's restoration, uh, you know, he was uh, he, he was probably somewhat more crudely literal than even some of the Mormon believers think. In fact, it causes a boatload of embarrassment, whereas an allegorical interpretation, which I do believe he also postulated, is a much, oh, let's say it's a much more spiritually enhancing teaching giving you a broader basis of hope, of faith, of a spiritual reality, if I can say that without getting shot, <laughs> uh, to the cosmos. And, and again, Joseph Smith's really bringing in the cosmological stuff with his theology, with his so-called restoration, uh, that is all beautifully Masonic, especially in the Royal Arch trestle boards, man. They show the two pillars and then the, the arch with the arch stone being removed to let the light of the sun come into our uh, third eye, our pineal gland, to enlighten our minds from above. You know, they always show the sun, the moon, the stars. Uh, the cosmological aspect of it is never lost in masonry, and that was quite attractive to Joseph Smith. And so he was, so his orientation uh, to a cosmological theology makes a lot of sense with a basis of having the philosophy of masonry embedded constantly by his neighbors and his family and his friends. And so why not bring it in and use it? Because that is what you're supposed to do. And this brings up another real interesting point that I found really cool in this book, Method Infinite, is we today... And, and I mean today in Mormonism with the Mormon leaders too, they have also unfortunately ended up becoming really rather rigidly narrow, I'll put it that way, uh, in their interpretation of, of meaning, of symbols, of, of what, what does this scripture mean? Uh, instead, Joseph Smith held what, he would call a lyceum, uh, a gathering, uh, well, a school of the prophets also, but a gathering where people could interpret a scripture and 
there was no singular orthodox correct way to believe and understand the scripture or else you had to go to your bishop and and we might have to put you on probation or you might have to be excommunicated or the Holy Spirit is going to leave you, Brother Church, because that's the wrong interpretation and you're not a good more. I mean, they throw all this stupid guilt bullshit at you because you have a different understanding. The value of masonry is to demonstrate that there is no one single orthodox way to interpret spiritual reality. It is based on where you are in your development. It is line upon line, precept by precept, degree upon degree. Smith put it in his scriptures from a revelation from Jesus Christ the Lord. He also discussed it philosophically in the King Follett Discourse, and that is pure Masonic basis, totally Masonic, by degree, bit by bit, one step of the ladder at a time. I mean, it's all Masonic imagery, man, and Joseph Smith incorporated it. I mean, even the obviously ridiculous concept that we have all mocked without understanding what the hell we're talking about when Joseph Smith said, oh, you're visited by a being, offer him your hand. Find out if he's a just man, find out if he's an angel, or find out if he's a spirit. That's Masonic. That is Masonic based. And when I found that out, I go, wow, I'm going to have to ponder this, man. That was really interesting to me. So, Anyway, that's pretty much my review. I have really, truly a vast majority of my approach, my attitude, my thinking is very, very positive text. Uh, you are cheating yourselves if you don't buy this book. I, I'm sincerely serious. It has certainly opened up my mind and my heart. It's given me another way to look at stuff in so many regards that I honestly didn't even know could possibly exist. And that is so typical of Joe Swick. He did that with me all the time on the phone. He would tell me something and I go, wow, how do you know that? Where, where can I figure that? And what does that mean? He said, I'm not going to tell you what it means. Go look it up. You know, he would do stuff like that. Wouldn't you, Joe? Yeah, if you're still watching, you are my spiritual mentor, brother. I hope everything's going well with you. Here's to my dearest friends, Cheryl Bruno, Joe Swick, and Nick Letursky. Freemasonry and Mormonism. At least give us a basis for a better understanding. You don't have to believe it. You really don't. But you ought to try it because you never know. It's through the action that we enhance our own value and self-worth, right? Well, what about your own spirituality and divinity? The divine in us. The Gnostics, the ancient Christian Gnostics, man. I mean, this is fundamental. This is ground zero to the Gnostics and the Hermeticism uh, of early Christianity. And in the New Testament is we are partakers of the divine nature. We have the spark of the divine in us. Well, Uzdavanus, Algis Uzdavanus, the Lithuanian metaphysician, whom one of you 
uh, got me onto. I, I think it's T.O. You you got me hooked up with Uzdavinus. Uzdavinus takes that concept back, way back to Plato, Pythagoras, Orpheus, the Babylonians, the Mesopotamians, and to the ancient Egyptians. How that's amazing. That principle has been in existence from time immemorial. It's only us modern dingalings who have lost that fabulous teaching. And no wonder we're always fighting and disagree with each other. And we're all on every kind of ridiculous, stupid pharmaceutical medication for depression, anxiety, fear, suicidal tendencies, etc. Because we've lost our self-esteem. The idea is Freemasonry and the restoration of Mormonism is trying to recapture that esteem. And today's Mormonism seems to be using the guilt-laden torture against its youth as a basis for control. You see, they've lost the spirit too. It's all of us who are in this silly boat together. Not only our ridiculous, materialistic-minded culture that we've been brainwashed into imagining, that, oh, I just have to go get that. The Joneses over there got it. Oh, and the Andersons, look what they bought. I have to have one. And so, and so you have to buy stuff, crap, and things. And then when the time comes where you really need the important stuff, you don't have the money. It's just stuff, you know. We're putting our values on the wrong impression. We're putting emphasis on the wrong values. A spiritualizing here and here in the heart-mind is a probably a really good way to begin building our own self-esteem. And you want to know one of the most interesting and yet powerful and yet seriously easiest it takes no effort whatsoever, hardly. It takes no money. You don't have to spend any money to do this to help you begin to build your self-esteem. And this is an amazing personal psychology that you yourself can do. And it is very Masonic and Mormon. Well, Joseph Smith's Mormon. Today's Mormons, all they want is your damn money. You know, they're boring as hell. They keep telling you the same stupid crap over and over again on such a low level of intellect that it puts you to sleep, right? But you want to know what you can do to help build your own value and your own self-esteem and your own, it begins to expand your heart and expand your mind. It'll help you start asking questions. And the real cool thing is we live in an electronic age so that we can look it up really easy by Googling it or asking Siri go outside at night, get away from the city lights, and look up. Lay down on your back. Don't crane your neck for two or three minutes. Lay on your back and look at that astonishing cosmos that is not above us. It's in us. 
It is us. And look at the greatness of all of that. It's fantastically amazing and interesting. We are those stars. We're made of the same stuff, man. That universe that you look up and look at flows through us literally. Every one of us tonight, while I've been given this pontification on this magnificent book, Method Infinite, we have been breathing air. That's part of the universe flowing in and out of us. I have been drinking hydrogen and oxygen in a particular combination that comes from the cosmos. I intake it. I will get rid of it. It flows through me. The sunshine today. The sun comes into you, gives you good vitamin D. It tans your arms. My upper arms are white, but there's proof I was in the sun. The universe is us. It flows through us. We flow through it. That's amazing. That's astonishing. That can get really exciting because you can begin to ask some actual meaningful questions and begin to study some meaningful things in your life and build your brain and start talking about some really cool ideas instead of, hey, man, which street should we go drag down in the car? I mean, after 200 years of that, wouldn't that get boring? For Pete's sake, but learning's never boring. I'm telling you, Method Infinite, learning from this book, I've got a long way to go before I absolutely master this book, but I will read this book over and over and over again. And I do have a challenge for you guys. There is a cipher on the front and back of the flap, right in the, right in the crease of it. Go ahead and decipher that cipher and realize how interesting it is. So, anyway, that is all I've got for you tonight. I've gone an hour and a half. Thank you for coming on. I appreciate all your support. I appreciate all your love. It's been a lot of fun. I hope you've all had a good time. Hey, Tim Rathbone, I never got to say hi to you earlier. Joshua Davidson, yeah, you've been drinking some cosmic beer. That is exactly correct. Fantastic. Yes, and it's becoming a part of you right? You are a part of it. It's not necessarily separate. Hey, Mr. Natural, how you doing? Good to see you. So anyway, that is my sermon. Oh, and John Rosbarski, glad you showed up. Uh, Mosia, yeah, it's good to see you always. Oh, Mr. Tubby Toast. <laughs> Thank you. I like your handle. That's funny. <laughs> Doug Vincent, always good to see you. Yeah, Alisa, very good to see you. Yeah, I'm feeling very zen right now. Yeah, I mean, that's a good thing, in my opinion. Yeah, that's interesting, because this book is about Freemasonry and Mormon restoration, and yet you can kind of get into a zen mode, crazily enough. Especially when you go to the cosmological teachings and aspects of it all. True story.
So that tells me this was an effective thing for you, which is wonderful. That makes me feel good. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that idea. That's wonderful. Hey, awful. Oh, well, thank you. That's very kind. That was absolutely fantastic. Oh, you guys are wonderful. I love being with you guys. Gail Capson, good to see you. Yeah, right? I can't argue with that. It was great. So much better than a temple session. Yeah, well, wait till you see some of the other ones I do where I get into the details. I hope Cheryl and uh, I hope Cheryl and Joe was able to endure my long moment here, an hour and a half. If you're still here, love you guys. Thank you for showing up. Appreciate you watching. Oh, Mike Weiss, it's okay. You can watch the video. It's all good. Uh, Dan Vogel, we will hear more because I want to bring more of your material in too. I really do believe they gave you a wonderful, wonderful support. They added some ideas. They disagreed a little bit with you, but it's all good. Um, you, you have been very prescient in so much of your approach in all of Mormon history. doesn't matter what topic you've been talking about. You've always ended up showing us that you've got a better inside track and you've been a fabulous leader and you're wonderful to read. And so I, I've always encouraged people, read Dan Vogel's materials. They really do a wonderful job, especially in the early part of Joseph Smith's life with his first vision and the reaction to the first vision and the coming forth of the Book of Mormon, etc. Man, these guys use Dan Vogel's early Mormon documents, all five volumes, exquisitely. It's, it's wonderfully done. And that's what gives the, the better, the more full, complete background, which builds on us, our knowledge. So it, get, it makes us more rational, more reasonable, more spiritual, better, more fulfilled people by having a greater section of the truth. We don't accept Marky Peterson. Why do you want to tell it all? We have to ask, oh, why the hell don't you want to say anything? Why are you hiding everything? It's because they've changed it. So anyway, it's all good. It all works out in the wash. So hey, Gail Capson. Oh, good, good. Good on you. You just ordered the book. Excellent. You will not regret it. I promise. Worth every penny. I'd have paid twice what I paid for it for without hesitation. I'd have paid $100 for this one. Truly. Seriously. Knowledge is not cheap, but it's valuable. Hey, that's actually a cool saying. Knowledge is not cheap, but it's valuable. I like that. That could be a good t-shirt. Hey, maybe I've come up with a special BYP saying. Yeah, baby. Uh, yeah, that's my BYP saying. Yeah. Yeah, why is Peterson so threatened by history? Dan Vogel asks that question, and that is right to the heart. Most Mormon leaders are threatened by history. I find that odd. It's very interesting. Uh-oh, one of you trying to get a hold of me? If you are, I apologize that I didn't answer. Hold on, I'll check it out. Oh, a security update. I missed RFM today. That's all right. We'll catch up. Okay, you guys. I'm gonna uh I'm gonna call it good. Uh thank you so much for being a part of my audience. Thank you for sharing time with me. It means more to me than I can possibly tell you. It's great to associate with so many fantastic people. 
in this world. It makes my life better. And I love y'all for it. It's just awesome. I look so forward to Sunday nights and I, I rather enjoy taking as much time as I can to prepare some ideas to share with you. A lot of work goes into this. So if you wouldn't mind, don't forget to go to backyardprofessor.org. Hit the donate button if you'd be so kind, or you can donate here. It doesn't matter. It's not about the money, but it does help. It's fun. Because of that, I promised you. Did I not promise you, my good friends, my dear friends? Did I not promise you that with some of the money, I would purchase more and good books, and then I would turn around and share them with you? Yes, that's what I'm doing. Here's my proof. So anyway, you guys rock. Be good, do well, have fun, be nice, stay happy, sleep well, make lots of money, do good, and come back next week because I've got a whole boatload more crap, or I mean stuff, to share with you. Thanks, you guys. Hasta la vista. This is the Backyard Professor signing off with his... Yeah, baby.